If you have your Bible and you're in 1 John chapter 1, I do want to invite you to stand with me uh, as we look at the Word of God, as we stand in His presence reading His Word. We're going to do verses 5 of chapter 1 through verse 2 of chapter 2 this morning. And John writes these words, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you. That God is able, excuse me, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him but we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he, God himself, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess ourselves, our our sins, he is faithful and he is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar and his word is not in us. My children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Let's pray together. Father, how wonderful it is to stand in the glorious light of our God. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us. You have given us your son, Jesus Christ, to purify and cleanse us. But Lord, we ask you that we not be allowed or able to hide. That we would stand boldly on the promise of who you are and what you would do for us. In saving us, in purifying us, in redeeming us, in drawing us in as your children. Lord, give us ears to hear your word this morning. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Do you remember playing hide and seek when you were a child? That was kind of a fun game, right? You know, the whole premise of hide and seek is to find a place where, where you could kind of camp out for a little while and be the last person found. There was one person who was it, and they would count to whatever arbitrary number you wanted to set. It seemed like the older you got, the higher they made you count. It used to be, we'll count to 10, and then it's like, I'm going to count to 100, and I was going to count, I'm going to count to 1,000, so I have time to go to the neighbor's house to hide before you uh, get through counting. But, but the whole idea was... To, to be in a place where you wouldn't be seen. And then as you got a little older, maybe you went outside and were able to hide. I mean, when you went outside, you got over those same four closets and two cabinets where you always hid. Now you've got trees to climb in and, and porches to hide under. You got all kinds of places. And there was always an advantage to playing at your own house, wasn't there? When you had friends over, you had what we could call home territory advantage there. You knew the good hiding places. You knew the places they would never think to look. You knew exactly what you needed to do in order to hide. We're going to keep that thought in mind as we go. But then you got a little bit older and you were bold and daring enough to play hide and seek outside at night. Ooh, that added some fun to it, didn't it? 
You play at night, and, and not only did you have all the spaces you knew, but the darkness of night cr- created and concealed you a little bit better. You could hide behind a bush that if it was daytime, we'd be able to see you through the bush. But because it's nighttime, you're back there, and somebody doesn't know you're there. And that evolved into a whole lot of other games, like uh, uh, Capture the Flag was a great one to play at night. Um, uh, sharks, or sharks and minnows or sardines with a couple of other ones. Uh, the idea where somebody hides and everybody tries to find them and you don't want to be the last one looking for them. You're doing that at night. Or underground church, Romans and Christians, a lot of names for that one that are all based on this premise of hide and seek in the dark because the darkness provides a false cover. But how often do we try to play this game of hide and seek with God? It's kind of natural to us actually to consider the way that we play hide and seek with God and before anyone says no no I don't do that I would never do that let's remember from where we have come we are all descendants of our first parents Adam and Eve who ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil broke the law of God and the very first thing they did was hide That was the very first thing they did. It says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 11, they heard the sound of God coming to walk with them in the garden and they hid themselves. And we've been hiding ourselves from God ever since. And John brings us into this passage with this understanding that our human nature and our natural bent is going to be towards hiding ourselves, placing ourselves hopefully out of the view of God so that maybe we could skirt by with something or maybe we could present ourselves as better than we are to those who are around us. And he shows us, you're going to see it listed there, we got two points, a few sub points and some action points that we're going to be walking through in this passage and he starts to show us very very clearly that God is going to expose the truth even in a world of lies there are lies all around you everywhere you go lies that'll try to get you to buy this to experience that to taste this to ingest that hey there was Travis again for just a second there are lies that tell you that you're not enough or maybe uh, that you'll never amount to something that you can't do it there are lies that say God doesn't care God God doesn't there are lies all around And and what John does is brings us to some self-revelation of God and says there in verse 5, the message that we're giving to you is what we have heard from him, that God is light. Light is the exposer of all that is in the darkness. It is natural for us to think of God as one that would expose. And what John is drawing us into is the understanding that our lives are lived best when we operate on a right and proper understanding of who God is. Or maybe I could say it this way. Right belief about God will always precede right action in your life and in my life we will act on what we believe to be true even if it's momentary even if it's just in that second we will act on what we believe to be true Adam and Eve Tef's case once again for just that moment in the middle of all of God's created glory and wonder Eve believed to be true that what the serpent was offering was better than what God had already given even though she knew 
For a moment, she believed something else. And here John says, look, we need to see something about God. God is light. He has revealed himself, and we live in that revelation of God. So when we go back to a right understanding and belief of who God is, it starts to shape our corresponding action. Because ultimately, what we find is that light will reveal what darkness tries to hide. Light reveals what darkness tries to hide. What is the very first thing that you do when you get up out of your bed in the middle of the night to go to the restroom or to go to get a midnight snack? You turn on a light, don't you? Some sort of a light. Maybe you're kind and considerate of, of your husband or wife who isn't awake and you try to get to the other room to, before you turn a light on as to not wake them up. But you turn on a light, why? Because you don't want to kick the coffee table, because you don't want to trip over a shoe. Or if you have small kids in the house, you don't want to step on something that's going to make you scream and wake everyone up, like a Lego or a doll or a vacuum cleaner or a puzzle piece or whatever your kids didn't put up that day. You want to expose what's in the darkness. Why do you walk through the woods in the middle of the night with a flashlight? Because you want to expose what's in the darkness. See, see, the light shines and it says here that God is light. And John emphasizes his point in verse 5 by saying, Because in God, in him, there is no evidence, no presence, no any hint of darkness at all. This goes contrary to so many false beliefs. It goes against New Ageism. There's a symbol in New Age thought. It's called the yin-yang. It's a, it's a little, it's a circle. I, I should have put a picture up here for you. Um, but it's a little circle and it's got this uh, little black thing and then it's got this little white thing and there's a black dot in the middle of the white thing and there's a white dot in the middle of the black thing. You've seen the thing, you, you've seen this little symbol. And, and what it symbolizes and what it means is that in every bit of evil, there is some good and in every bit of good, there is some evil. There is always some darkness in what appears to be good. There's always some goodness and light in what appears to be bad. But when we put it against the testament of scripture, there is no darkness and no evil, no presence of wickedness in God. Now that might be true of people. We're all, some of you are really good people. But you've sinned. You've served self. And so there's a little darkness there. Somebody might be the worst human being you've ever met, but one time did something nice, so there's a little bit of good in that guy. But we're talking human terms. In God, there is no darkness, there is no presence of darkness, there is no hint of darkness. This goes against what the, Jesus, the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, will say when they come and knock on your door and try to get you to believe the, the myths of John Smith, Mormonism. Mormonism will teach you that God was somebody just like you at one point. And God did such a good, day, good job of living that life that you're trying to live that he became a God of his own planet, his own little universe, and that's how he got there. But you know, God made mistakes because he wasn't perfect. The Bible says no. Before there was anything, there was God, and God was perfect, and God was shining bright as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is the light, and he has revealed himself because he is showing us what is true and what is real, because light will reveal what darkness tries to hide. 
every single time. But because you and I live in this world, because you and I are clothed in flesh and skin, because you and I are descendants of Adam and Eve and were born after the fall, we still try to hide. And in doing so, we become, as John says, self self-deceived. See, when we look at God as light and see that God is going to expose all that is true in a world of lies and we see that light is going to reveal what darkness tries to hide, we come to the understanding that our self-deception will not stand before God. It, it won't. We'll, we'll try. <laughs> we'll try. We'll, 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 we can cloak it with one another. We can cloak it in, 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 in our community, in our families. And we, and we can try to you know, put on that Sunday best where, you know, I, I always talk about the Sunday best. The Sunday best is basically how the majority of church folk operate on Sunday morning. Doesn't matter if you're wearing a coat and tie or jeans and, t- and a tank top. You're going to operate and say, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great, brother. I'm doing great. You can put on your best smile. When inside there's, there's brokenness and there's pain and there's hurt and, and there's the creeping in of sin and we can deceive someone because we always put our best pictures on social media. We don't put the ones when everything's falling apart around us because we front. So we can deceive ourselves. We can deceive others around us, but it's not going to stand before God. And what John does in, the next, in verses 6 through chapter 2, verse 1, is he introduces a series of if questions. Uh, he hypothesizes some things. Now, in the context of 1 John, uh, you can read a lot of commentaries on 1 John. Uh, you can read um, uh, at least six or seven, like the ones I read this week, and they're all going to tell you something a little bit different about who John was writing to. John was writing to a specific group within his church that was actually making these comments. Well, John was trying to, uh, was, John was assuming what these, these people would say or, or John was writing this. Or John, here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. There were at least some people in John's church that he was writing to that believed these things and may have even been publicly proclaiming them and pulling f- other people away from the truth of the gospel and into a subverted life. They've deceived themselves and deceived others into this false teaching. And so, so John is writing and saying, you can say this, but here's what you need to know. Or you can say this, and here's what you need to know. And this is where we're going to get three statements and three corresponding actions right off the page. No secret where I'm getting my information from. It's going to be right here on the page in front of you. So let's, let's kind of go through. The, the first one here starts in verse 6. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, but we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. What John is saying is we can't follow Christ and walk in the darkness. We, we can't walk in this dark, nasty world and practice the life of the world and say we're following Christ. It's a non sequitur. It does not follow. You don't go that route. It, it's, it, it's kind of like getting on the interstate and going south and after you cross into Alabama say, hey, I'm heading towards North Carolina. No, you're not. You're going the wrong way on the interstate. You you can't be heading towards North Carolina if your car is pointing towards New Orleans. It just just doesn't work. But what John says here is we're claiming something about ourselves. So let's baptize this a little bit, all right? Let's make it Baptist-oriented. 
Did you invite Jesus into your heart? Did you give your life to Christ? Did you raise your hand at that revival meeting? Did you say you were a Christian? Did you say you were born again? Did you say yes when somebody asked you what God would say when he, if you could get into his heaven? Did you read through that gospel track and say the prayer at the end of it? Do you claim these things about yourself? Well, if this is true, that this is who I say I am, it causes us to bring in some self-reflection about the mode and the manner of life that we are living. Are we trying to hide in the shadows? Maybe the question that comes up all the time, and uh, you've heard me reference before, is can you be a Christian and do this? Or, or is it okay for Christians to engage in this kind of... Those, those questions are basically just trying to say, I'm wanting to see how much shade I can have while I'm trying to bask in the light of Christ. The thing is, is there is no shade in the light of Christ. There's nothing, look at the word he uses. If we say we have fellowship with him, it, we talked about fellowship last week, you know, that Baptist word. You know, it's not a covered dish. It, 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 he didn't say, if Jesus invited you over to his house for a covered dish potluck after church, that you know, church picnic, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about walking in life step by step with Christ Jesus. Are, are, we, are we standing where Jesus Christ has priority and preeminence in our decisions and how we behave and what we do and, and, and everything? He says, if, if, if that's not true, then you're living in darkness and because of that, you're a liar. Wow, that's a pretty harsh word. I'm glad John said it. So that way I could echo him. Because that's been me. It's been you. That, that we have such a drive and such a desire to please people around us that we adopt the way of the world to get it accomplished and therefore we step out of the light and try to walk in the shade. We've got a couple of nature trails in our neighborhood where we live and they kind of go back, there's a pond back there and then there's, there's like these two gauntlet hills that you know, you're gonna like fall off the face of the earth to go down then you gotta go right back up or whatever. And the cool thing about these nature trails is our family can go on some walks um, um, at, from time to time. But the key to it is, for us, you've got to start the walk before 12 o'clock. Because the, the main walkway that we go down the hill and back up and everything and then to get home, if we start after 12 o'clock, it's going to be in the sunlight. And it hasn't been very cool the last few weeks around here. It's been pretty warm. And, and so being able to walk in the shade is comforting because we can get the benefit of some exercise and let the dog run and get some energy out while we're going on this walk. But we don't have to experience the fullness of the heat and the fullness of the exposure to the sun and its bright shining light that brings warmth. That shade provides a little cover. And all the comfort and ease of the world around us tries to provide that little cover. I'm not going to lie to you. It's hard to walk with Christ. It's hard. It's work. It takes responsibility. And I'm not standing up here to show you, just follow me because I've done this well, because I have not. Because I like the shade a little bit. I like the cool comfort. Nobody goes and 
sets their hammock up where there are no trees and there's no, there's no shade. They're going to go out there to relax and rest because there's a little bit of shade where they can catch that breeze. You don't set your hammock up in the middle of the Sahara Desert in July, ever. And he says there in verse 8, 7, what's our action? If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The action is to walk in the light. If we know that walking in the darkness points to a deception and a lie in our lives to say, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this Jesus prayer and I'll be okay, but I'm still going to live life my way and the way everyone around me lives. And you've got to ask yourselves, if you're a follower of Christ, does my life look more like the New Testament Christ that we see or does it look more like the 21st century America in which we live? But if we're looking at the light, he says, walk in this light. You're not going to be able to do it perfectly. You can't. I can't. Nobody can. But we still walk in it. Because he said, come to me and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A, a yoke is a labor tool. It's work. But we walk there. Notice what he says there. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You know, I think the greatest expression of someone that is truly walking in the light is the way they relate to other Christians in community. I can always tell, and, and I hope I don't make anybody mad. 95% of the time I hope that. I really don't want to make anybody mad. I, I really don't. But one of the greatest downfalls of the 11 o'clock church hour is it does not provide an opportunity for us to engage in true biblical fellowship with one another where we're encouraging one another to grow in Christ's likeness. And most of the time, I'm just going to be real with you, it's because we've got something to hide. We're not involved in small groups. We're not involved in Sunday Bible studies. We're not coming together for a time of true fellowship where we can say, you know what, I'm struggling with this and I need you to pray and have godly men and women, godly families around us that we know are praying over us, praying for us and speaking truth into our lives. We're picking up our information from tabloids and talk shows and people at work that know nothing of the way of God and we're continuing to walk that way. But he says, if we have true fellowship with Christ, we're gonna desire that with one another and we're we're going to come together and we're going to yield ourselves so that we can grow in Christ's likeness. If you're wondering why you're stuck in the shade, it's because you're not walking with people who are walking in the lights. We've got to walk in the lights. The second deception, verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. These proponents that John is addressing are, are trying to suggest that the nature of sin does not reside in them. But all of us, every single one of us, has a sinful nature. We were born into, David said in Psalm chapter 51, in sin did my mother conceive me. He wasn't talking about his mom having an adulterous affair and she ended up pregnant. What he says in, this, in that verse is that because I am born of the flesh, I am born in sin sin and all of us were born in the flesh and these people in John's church that he's addressing are trying to say you know what we don't have that sin nature because if sin brings disfellowship with God we're of this nice religious status to where that nature isn't part of us that that that's not us 
we don't have this active principle of sin at work in our lives. Oh no, we're too good for that. We're Baptist deacons. We teach Sunday school. We pastor the local church. We raise our hands when the song's one that we like. We, all of these things that we want to throw out there and equate to being a good Christian. Oh no, that nature of sin, that's not me. That's not where I am, no. But the Bible says that all of us have this nature of sin. The Bible says that God himself is wrapped in light and when we enter, you remember Moses? Moses, man, Exodus chapter, 20, Exodus chapter 34, man, he saw, he saw the presence of God, didn't see the face of God, or else he would have been dead. But he saw the presence of God, and he was standing in the light of God, and he came down from the mountain, and everybody said, no, you got to cover that boy's face up, man, he's shining too bright. You, you ever see somebody at the beach or at the pool that is so white, it hurts your eyes to look at them? I, I mean... It's like, it's like they ran through like the baby powder factory before they hit the beach. And you look at him like, man, the sun is hurt. That's what it looked like for Moses. He comes off the mountain. They said, cloak his face. See, most of us want to deny our sin nature and that we have sin at work in our lives, in our bodies. And that's why Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, I do the things I wish I did not do and don't do that which I want to do. And he's talking about this struggle because if you are growing in your relationship with Christ, if you're growing in fellowship with other believers, you will come to understand that that sinful nature always creeps in. It's always going to fight against you and it's always going to drive you either towards the light of God or away back into the darkness. And and John says here, don't hide from it. All of us have this sinful nature. All of us struggle. All of us. So, so what do we do? Well, we confess so that we can be forgiven. Notice what he says there in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. We've stuck our head in the sand. The truth is not in us. But, verse 9, I love verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a pretty big if. See, confession is a huge step. Let me share you something good with you. We're not Catholic. So you don't have to come to me to confess your sin so that I could take it to God and negotiate with God. Well, you know, I think they meant it this time. That's not who we are. The Bible teaches that because of Christ, because of his work on the cross, you and I can go straight to God by ourselves and allow his work to be a public display in our lives. I don't need to know your dirty laundry. I'd love to help you with it. I'd love to, to connect you with other men and women that are faithful in their walk with Christ to help you with it. Not to run you down, not to say, oh man, you gotta, they came to me with this. Can you believe that? Can you just talk to them about that? Because I'm not sure. No, that's not what it's about. It's, I'm broken over your sin because you've brought it to my attention. I know someone in our church who has 
seen the power of God work in their life to where they've overcome a similar struggle, would you mind if I shared this with them so that they can pray for you and walk with you to victory? That's what it's about. That's what fellowship is looking like. And he says, if we confess, see, confession, when we confess our sins, what we're doing is we're taking God at his word. We're saying that we believe in his character, that he's not going to say, you did what? And squash us like a roach, but that he's going to say, I saw it already. Let me show you how I love you. Notice he says there, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us. I love this. Here's, Here's the character quality. He's faithful. He's faithful. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, he says, I will remove their sin and remember it no more. Do you realize that 900% of your problems and your relationships would go away if you would forgive somebody and remember it no more? That's what God does for us. I can't forgive the... I had to go to Walmart last night to get dog food. Pastor confession here. Y'all take this to God for me, okay? Had to go to Walmart after, after the Florida football game last night. If anybody watched it. Um, to get dog food, because we were at dog food. And if you've got a dog, you've got to feed the dog. And we have a dog. So went to Walmart to get dog food. And, you know, here I am. Got my 14-pound bag of dog food on my, on my shoulder. I'm walking through there. And this guy. <sighs> Lord help me. This guy, I think he's the same guy that cut me off on Bullsboro. I don't know. He comes wheeling out of the chip aisle as though he was going to abscond with the last bag of potato chips that Walmart had and didn't want anybody to catch him. And I had to stop. And I did like this. And he kept going. I said, you almost got my toe, buddy. And he looked back at me and said, well, I'm not going to tell you what he said because it wasn't a nice church appropriate word. And he kept going. I might have had an imprecatory prayer for him. Those are the Psalms of David where it's like, crush their skull, God. (laughs) Yeah, I can't even forgive the guy that he didn't do anything. He didn't touch me. He didn't hit me, but he almost did. I can't even forgive that guy. I'm telling you about it this morning, Pastor Confession. People at Walmart. But God is faithful. Yeah, you really messed up. That was sin. You sinned against me. But you know what? You confessed it. So I'm going to take it from here. I'm going to remove it from your debt, from your account. I'm going to put it back over here on the cross where my son already paid for it. And it's just going to stay there. And we're going to keep walking. And we're not going to pass by it again. It's, It's gone. That's the faithfulness of God. When you confess your sin, you are making a statement about your faith in his faithfulness. Oh, but it doesn't just stop it. Faithful. It says there that he is faithful and righteous, or your translation may say just to forgive. That one's the hard one. Because we don't equate justice with forgiveness. We equate justice with, oh, you almost hit me with your shopping cart while I was carrying my my dog food bag through Walmart. Oh, somebody just ran over your toe with their truck. (laughs) Ha ha, I got you, buddy. 
That's what we do, right? We, we equate, equate justice with retribution. We equate justice with a reciprocal action that will make them feel the wrong that they did. Yeah. That's not the character of God. The character of God is he takes our sin and removes it as far as the east is from the west. As far as the hot heavens are above uh, the earth. So far as his great and majestic love for us. So, so that he... He himself would say, no, no, no. I forgive you because of what my son did. I forgive you and the justice comes in that Christ Jesus paid the penalty already. That's big. And I realize that that might be hard for you to grasp in your heart. Because I don't know what you've done. Quite honestly, I don't care what you've done because your sin is not out of the reach of the faithful justice of God who sent his son Christ Jesus to die for you you have a sin nature I have a sin nature and it's not about did we sin it's about what we do in response to the presence of sin that is active in our lives we take it to the cross we confess but then there's those other people, verse 10. But if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. See, where the first argument was you're denying that you have the nature of sin or, or the propensity towards sin, what you're denying now is that you've actually sinned. Newsflash, each one of us has sinned. Every single one of us and John says here if you if you say that you have not sinned you have just walked into God's courtroom pointed your finger at him the judge and said you sir are a liar That's such a dangerous place to be. Maybe you'll remember the shock and awe of the 2016 presidential election. And two months before that election, then candidate, now President Donald Trump, had the audacity to say to a group of evangelical pastors, well, I would be glad to repent if I had sin, but since I don't have any sin, I don't feel the need to repent. Quote, And you think about that statement. You specifically need to think about that statement before you repost something on Facebook that claims that Donald Trump is God's choice for America. Someone that would defy the very name of God and call God a liar. Period. But we do that. See, these people were saying, you know, those actions may have appeared to have been sin, but because I've got this status, because I'm of this religious ilk, because I'm this kind of person, it's actually not sin. I don't have any sin. And God says, no, 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 you, don't, you do. 
So I want you to imagine with me just for a moment. Just, just put yourself. We're going to go courtroom drama. Who likes courtroom drama? Perry Mason, you know, Matlock. Here we go. We're going to get the Matlock into the show confession from this witness stand right here from all of us. I want you to imagine yourself that you are in this courtroom, that you have stood there and you're on the stand and splattered across all of the walls all around is every thought, every action, every deed, every word that you have ever said, ever done, ever Because the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that the day is coming when each one of us is going to have to appear before that judgment seat and everything that we've done, we're going to have to give an account for, whether good or bad. There it is. It's all up there. The lie you told. The pornography you looked at. The drug you used. Everything. It's up there. It's up there. Right there for everybody to see. All of heaven to see. And God says, I want you to see this. You've sinned. You've sinned. And and while you might not have broken every one of my laws, I have also put out there, if you break my law at one point, you're guilty of breaking all the law. So here you go. Do you have the audacity with all of heaven watching to say, no God, you're in error because this is not sin. And if you don't have the audacity to be in the face of God, in the presence of God, in the courtroom of heaven and say that, why do we say it now? Because we think the light of God's not going to shine right there. We're going to try to hide in that shadow and hide in that shade. And what breaks my heart the most is my own deception of self to where, yeah, I've done that. It's been me. It's been my life. To deny God the authority to point out what is sin in my life. What is sin in our lives. Where we are as people. So we're in that courtroom and everything's out there and it says, okay, here you are. This is sin. What do we do? Our action here is to go to the advocate. If every single one of us has sinned, all of us are going to need an advocate. You've seen the commercials you know, John Floyd, the strong arm of the law or whatever. You know, you, you've, you've got all those people that are supposed to be your advocate to help you, right? Well, here you are in God's courtroom. You're standing right, you're standing right there and all of your actions are on the, on the board for every, everyone in heaven to see what you have done. And God has just given you the guilty verdict of sin. What are you going to do? It says there in verse 1 of chapter 2, I am writing these things that you may not sin. But if you do, you have an advocate. Who? Jesus Christ, the righteous. See, if I have an advocate in heaven, if I have somebody that's going to go to God and say, actually, I'm going to step in on their account and advocate for their, their excusal or their, 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 your, your, your forgiveness and forbearance for them, I want it to be Jesus, the Son of God. If I'm standing before Judge Alex Brown, I don't know if he's got a son or not, but if I'm standing before Judge Alex Brown, I want his son to be the one arguing my case for me because his son's going to have that inroad with dad and maybe get a little dad, dad love there, right? If, if I'm in traffic court in Noonan, Georgia, I want the judge's son to be right there giving me, being an advocate for me to say, I, I know him, dad, this is good. Jesus Christ, if we confess our sin, see, the removal of sin, the forgiveness, the purity is based on our confession. So if we've already confessed Christ as Savior, he becomes our advocate, the righteous for the unrighteous, to take away our unrighteousness. So when God says, look, this is the sin, Jesus says, yes, but I'm the Savior. I am the Savior. 
How? How does this happen? Verse two says this, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the entire world. Jesus Christ is God's provision for our sin. You're in that courtroom. You have a guilty verdict on you. There's nothing you can do, but God provided, the judge provided for your sin. That word propitiation is a really huge word. I love it though. But here's what it means. It basically means an offering to appease the wrath of a God or a deity. Jesus Christ was the offering that took the wrath of God. Isaiah chapter 53 says, it was God's pleasure and will to crush him, the suffering servant. Why? Because you sinned and because I sinned. Because we have a sin nature. And I want you to notice the, 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 the circle that John draws here. Because keep in mind, all this is talking about the fellowship that we have with God, but also with one another. I want you to look at what's, what's, what's unfolding right before us. It's easy for us to get in the holy huddle here and say, look at us, man. We all love Jesus and Jesus forgave all of us. High five, let's have some fried chicken and let's have a fellowship. Let's do all these churchy things, right? It's easy for us to do. But it's not just us. Look at the greater circle that God draws around through the pen of John. Not just your salvation because you're in the fellowship, but the salvation of the whole world. This compels us to start thinking about who is that one person we know we need to reach with the gospel? Who is it that we can go to with this message of hope and peace? Who is it that we can bridge into their community? How do we engage in missions and evangelism and service to our community so that people will be able to see your sins have been forgiven? Wouldn't you love it? Wouldn't you love it if you went to the bank this week to pay your mortgage and when you got there, somebody said, you know what, somebody's already paid your full bill. You'd love that, wouldn't you? Especially if you took out a 30-year mortgage in the last year or two and you know you've got uh, 29, 30 more years to go and your life is on the line there. And you walk in and somebody says, this has been paid in full. That's what Christ Jesus has done as the propitiation for our sins, but not just ours, the entire world. We've got people that are drowning in the debt of sin who are gonna stand in that courtroom of God and everything's gonna be there and they're not gonna have an advocate and one of the biggest reasons they're not gonna have an advocate is because those who do have the advocate have kept it to themselves and not gone and said, you know what? Your sins are forgiven. Not because of me, but because of him. So this morning, let me ask you, where are you trying to hide where are you resisting the fellowship of God and the beautiful, marvelous light into which he has called us? In 1995, there was a Christian uh, music group. Um, they started off as a Christian rap group. And they went into some pop rock and all some of things. DC Talk, Toby Mac, that was his band before that. And one of their hit songs in 96 uh, was a song called In the Light. And in the light, it was written by Charlie Peacock in 1991. Charlie Peacock was a record producer. And the whole, the whole song hinges on this idea of, I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heavens. Lord, be my light and be my salvation because I just want to be in the light. But then he brings these words in in the bridge. I had to write them, get them written down here. It says, and this is, this is what it means to walk in the light. Honesty becomes me. There's nothing left to lose. 
The secrets that did run me in your presence are diffused. Pride has no position and riches have no worth. The fame that once did cover me has been sentenced to this earth. You can stay in the darkness. John chapter 3 says that those people saw the light of Christ, but they preferred to stay in the darkness because their deeds were evil. You can stay in the darkness and have fame and fortune and accolade and friends and all these things. Or you can step into the light. It might cost you something. It might hurt. But you gain all that God 